This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 315 of the Driving Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Purina Animal Health and American Driving Society. Well, this week we are taking a special look. This is kind of a special episode for us here in the Driving Radio Show. It's all about Lyme disease. We're going to talk mostly about Lyme disease in people, but at the end, uh, Dr. Wendy's going to talk about Lyme disease in horses. And what we're focusing on is what's changed in the last five years for people and horses that uh, since the last time we did a Lyme disease episode on the Stable Scoop Show, there's so much talk about Lyme disease in the horse world, and all horse people are exposed to it at some time or another, and we know all our horses are and our dogs are. So it's an important topic, and it's going to be a a very serious show today, Uh, and of course it's one that's very near and dear to my heart, being a a 15-year chronic Lyme patient. So we're going to take a look at that today. We all know somebody with Lyme or has had it or you've had it or your horse has had it, so tune in today. This is Glenda Geek. And I'm Wendy Ying, and you're listening to The Driving Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, we have an important show for you today, Wendy and I do, and it's been about five years since we did a serious episode on Lyme disease, and we did it over on the Stable Scoop Show. It's still to this day one of our most downloaded episodes that we've ever done on the Horse Radio Network. And today we want to kind of get an update on what the changes have been in detection and treatment of Lyme disease, and basically how Lyme disease is being looked at as far as legislature is concerned and the CDC and the whole thing. Uh, Most of you know that uh, I have had chronic Lyme for about 15 years now and do have flare-ups occasionally and have to take off shows. I had one two weeks ago, and uh, Jennifer had to fill in for me. So it's something that I've battled for a long time. And, you know, the CDC and the American Medical Association even deny that there is chronic Lyme, although uh, more and more states are legislating the fact that there is, so they get the insurance companies to pay for it. So we're going to talk a lot about that, too, and kind of get a general update. Why we're doing that about people is because Lyme disease is rampant in horse people, isn't it, Wendy? Yes, it is, because we're always outside with our animals, horses and dogs and cats. And since Lyme disease is spread by ticks, you know, one bite from a tick and you can be infected. And and horse people also don't take care of themselves. So they might let it just go untreated for a while. And then you get to the point where you're like what you're at, Glenn, where you, the Lyme's organism is now like hidden inside your body from your immune system. Making you sicker and sicker. Make, yeah, Exactly. Which they think it had been two years from the time I had the bites. We had ticks all the time, you know? Uh, yeah, so you probably don't even remember no. being bitten. No. And, you know, back then it was early days of uh, Lyme, uh, just Lyme awareness even. It was just yeah. starting and it was early days. And we think that I got it actually doing hay because w- when you do fresh hay, we got ticks all the time. 
because oh, yeah. they're just bailed with the hay and they just hang out in there. Do you put the hay up and then they're on you? So, yeah. I mean, we used to get ticks all the time. And, you know, I can't count the number of ticks we took off. And deer ticks, a lot of times we never even saw them. They, you know, to just fall off eventually. Um, so, because they're so tiny. And I think, and it was in Pennsylvania at the time, and, and you know, central Pennsylvania was rampant with it. Uh, we didn't know a lot about it, but it was rampant with right. it. And then I just got sicker and sicker and sicker, ended up in the hospital. There was one year I was in the hospital probably 10 times. Um, one time, oh one time I lost complete use of the left side of my body. It went completely numb. And well, that's why I think a lot of times Lyme's isn't, isn't diagnosed because they, people don't believe that it can cause those, those signs. Like they don't believe it can cause neurologic right. it, signs, it but causes, if it hides in the lining yep. of your nerves and, and your nerves are inflamed, then that's what's going to happen. And, and the problem with Lyme is it, it can manifest itself in about a thousand different ways and, yeah. and it mimics so many other diseases that that's what happened to me. I ended up getting every test for everything ever right. thought about. Um, I ended up going to every specialist. I did tests after test after test, and they couldn't nail down any one of those things. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, they tested me for muscular dystrophy and, and you know, yeah. all those different diseases that are neurological or not neurological and uh, back stuff. And, you know, there would be times your joints would ache so bad. One of the common things that people have with Lyme is they're chronically fatigued. And, mm -hmm. of course, they come back with chronic fatigue syndrome, right? Well, right. which I think is sort of like you have irritable bowel syndrome. If they can't figure out what's wrong with your, uh, yeah, with your digestive system, disease. they just yeah. call it that, right? So mm -hmm. <laughs> what do they call it? A rule-out disease? Well, it's because we don't have a test for it. So if you rule out everything else, then That's what it you is. say, oh, right. you've got chronic fatigue. Fibromyalgia was another one, you know, that it just just a ton of different things they tested for. And finally, because I guess I got ruled out that it was Lyme disease because they couldn't come up with anything else at that mm -hmm. point. And it just had all the symptoms. And, you know, now years later, the the, the we're going to talk to Dorothy from the LymeDisease.org in a minute. But, you know, I want to find out. Back then, the tests were totally unreliable. They still are not great, but they're mm -hmm. getting better. Uh, but they were unreliable to the point where, you know, it would miss most of the time. But when you were infected, they didn't even test people for Lyme no. disease. I finally made them do it. I it, think we've had a test for animals way longer than we've been testing people. I finally made them do it, but the test was so unreliable, it didn't matter. Um, because there were so many, what do they call it? There's so many different strains of this disease. Right. Um, and there's so many different ticks and bugs and uh, different forms of the disease that it, it hides pretty well too. And, and then, you know, I guess it depends whether you're really flaring up, whether the tests will be more accurate or not. It's just, it's still a mess. <laughs> well, that's another thing why I, I can't wait to talk to Dorothy today because in animals, you know, it, well, it, when we treat uh, autoimmune diseases, because that's what this is, right? Yes, you're infected with Lyme's disease, but if you have these flare-ups because of your immune system. Right. So if we don't treat your immune system, you will keep having flare-ups because once you have it chronically, it's very difficult to get rid of. So I think people, to manage their own limes or to manage limes in, horse, in their horses or dogs, they need to understand how the immune system works and understand how to keep that healthy. And for me, you know, the biggest thing that helped me, with your help, oh, through the years too, was, is diet. 
I mean, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I had to cut out all, all uh, gluten and all sugar, and that really helped. I don't get near right. the severity of flare-ups that I did before. I used to be but it's hard, But it's hard for doctors to prescribe diet when you're a regular, right. you know, when you're not, because because people don't want to hear that. They There's say, no pill. They're like, where's my Lyme disease pill? Right. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have done antibiotics for a year intravenously. Either be th- and I yeah. did that. I did oral antibiotics for a year, three weeks on, three yeah. weeks off for a year. And all that managed to do was make my stomach a mess. Um, well, that's like what they're really understanding now. And it's kind of getting more mainstream is that your gut microflora is part of your immune system. So being on chronic antibiotics, while I can understand the the theory of that, it attacks your gut microflora. So now it's decreasing your immune system because it's like giving you leaky gut syndrome and all this stuff from your food and the environments getting into your system and, and causing your immune system to crash or be overloaded. And actually during that year was probably my worst. And, and I was, I, so too. I was probably about 18 hours a day I slept. And when Wasn't I was that when we were in Kentucky, no, I was in Massachusetts then. And it was really, really bad up there. And then I was on the antibiotics, and I lost 60 pounds in a, in a year. Oh and you probably I, also had SADS because it's so cold up there. <laughs> <laughs> I never got to leave the house, so it really that didn't, didn't matter. Help. I didn't drive for a year because I couldn't focus. I couldn't. There was one point when I drove there, I was going to the grocery store, which was literally a mile away when we lived in Massachusetts, and I could not get home. I couldn't remember how to get home. Well, that's another thing about about neurologic disease like this. Um, you know, people can't see it from the outside, right? If right. Like, if you had a limp, they could see you had a limp, right? But they can't see that you're having not you know emotional issues, and also like you're confused. You can't think because the this limes is affecting your brain. Now, and you know. So I, I think most of the audience, probably new listeners don't know, but, you know, if my co-hosts are all really good about covering. Like if I have a bad day when I'm on with Wendy, she'll just talk more and I'll I'll back off and I'll talk less because sometimes I'll mix up my words and I'll put sentences in the wrong order or I just can't think what to say. You just can't even mm-hmm. think what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, like two weeks ago when I when I took off the morning show – you know, Jamie knows that, okay, it's a really bad day if I take off because I really haven't missed that many considering. Um, right. and, but I just can't do it because I can't, I can't think of questions. I can't think of answers. I can't think of anything. And in those days, yeah. I pretty much can't work. I just have to – you just lay around. <laughs> oh, you, you should rest. That, yeah. That's the most important thing you can do to help your immune system is some days you need to rest. Well, let's do this. Let's get Dorothy on uh, from LymeDisease.org, and let's let's find out what's new. Is there hope? Are we getting better? You know, are, I know there's a lot more research being done now than it ever has in the past, and it's being taken more seriously than it ever has in the past. So let's find out what kind of progress we're making. And we'll get to Dorothy in just a second. If you're listening to this program, it's obvious that you love horses. And let's be honest, our older horses hold a really special place in our hearts. That's why we want to do everything we can to keep our old companions around as long as possible and living their best lives. Well, our friends at Purina get this. That's why they've developed Purina Equine Senior Horse Feed with Active Age, a proprietary prebiotic proven through years of research to support a senior horse's aging immune system. 
Because when it comes to our horses, greatness never ages. To learn more, visit purinamills.com backslash activeage. That's purinamills.com backslash activeage. Well, hi, Dorothy. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. So let's, it's been about five years since we did a full episode on Lyme disease and people. And, you know, we talked a lot back then. I told my story for the first time uh, coming out on the show. To, I felt like I was coming out, actually, to be honest. Um, you know, and letting the audience know what kind of neurological problems I had and all of that. And I know LymeDisease.org. Let's start there. What is LymeDisease.org and what do you guys do? Well, we're a patient advocacy organization, and we educate the Lyme community. We educate the public at large. Uh, We're now uh, involved in a special research program called My Lyme Data, which I hope we can talk about later. I do, too, because I want to hear it. (laughs) Generally, we want to, you know, we want to help people not get Lyme disease in the first place. And if they do get it, get treated promptly and, uh, you know, things that that come out from that. And it, it there's a lot of different. There's a lot of different aspects to it, and um, you know we try to we try to address it from the patient's point of view. An awful lot of things um, seem strange, but the patient point of view is left out of a lot of scientific and medical discussions. When I discovered, and so we we try to bring that forward. When I was really really sick, and I felt like there was no the doctors didn't know what they were doing. They were testing for everything else. No, it was 15 years ago, so you know it. It's come a long way since then, uh, even in awareness. But back then, awareness wasn't great. I lived in Pennsylvania where it was prevalent, uh, but nobody really knew much about it. And then when I found you guys, you know, when did you start? 30 years ago. Yeah. When I discovered you guys on the internet, it was like, oh, somebody's on my side. Because I really felt after fighting this for two years and being really sick and in a hospital, I felt like there was nobody on my side. You felt you get to feeling desperate and alone. Absolutely. Well, I mean, my personal story is that I got involved in this kind of work because about 12 years ago, my daughter, who was 13 at the time, became um, very ill. And we went to the doctors that we thought would have, you know, would be able to help us. And bottom line was they couldn't help us. And we were on our own. And an awful lot of people with Lyme disease are in that situation. They think they're alone. There's actually a, a big group of them, right. <laughs> you know, more than more hundred, more than three hundred thousand new ones every year, according to the CDC, and some estimates are much higher than that as well. So uh, that being able to to speak for patients and even you know when we got st- when my family got started on this journey, if you will. Uh, there was very little information out there. And even, you know, like I remember going to Amazon and there was hardly any books that even, you know, if you just said Lyme, you know, hardly anything came up at all. Right. And so, and there wasn't very much online. Well, the, well, the even, internet was starting. the organization I'm now part of yeah. didn't have a whole lot. Well, online. websites were pretty rudimentary back then, too. They weren't like they are now. Um you know, it was right. a little different era, too, we were living in. And you're right, I couldn't find anything either. Um, but it was because of the Internet, after all the year of testing I went through with every specialist you could imagine, and just being in a hospital all the time, that I, you know, that my wife went on and said, I think you have Lyme disease. And and that's when we, we mentioned the family doctor, who then said, you know what, you could. 
And and finally it dawned on the family doctor too. And then he started treating it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, then I started making progress over the next six months or so. What, let's go back to what you said about prevention. I, and there is ways to prevent it. I think those ways may be a little tougher. We may have to alter them a little bit for horse people because we are outside everywhere all the time. Right. Well, first step absolutely is awareness because People, um, you know, people said, now I, I live in California and even though there is, you know, yes, you can get Lyme disease in California, but the awareness of it is very low. And, uh, often people will, you know, get bitten by a tick and call the advice nurse of their health plan and be told, oh, you don't have to worry anything about it because there's, there's no Lyme disease in California, you know, which isn't, you know, which isn't true, but it is widely um, believed. And so awareness, and there's some states, I mean, there's people, you know, Arkansas, according to the CDC, has no cases of Lyme disease. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that actually have Lyme disease in Arkansas, but it gets very, you know, it's very hard when you go to the doctor and they say, well, the CDC says there isn't any Lyme in Arkansas, so you can't have it. So, so just awareness on a personal level, awareness on a societal level, awareness on the medical establishment level. And, you know, people travel. Uh, one of my first uh, people that I talked to when I was learning about Lyme disease from my daughter and everything was somebody that actually came from Pennsylvania and she was got Lyme disease in Pennsylvania, was treated in Pennsylvania, was CDC positive, moved to California, had a relapse, um, I don't know, a year later or something, went to the local doctor and the doctor said, oh, well, you can't get Lyme disease in California. And she said, well, I didn't get it in California. I got it in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and he said, doesn't matter. There's no Lyme disease in California. Oh, my so, God. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that, and I hear that, you know, the first time she told me that, I, I thought, well, that, that's a really strange thing for somebody to say. I hear that all the time from people now all over, all over the country. And so even if you... You know, even if you live in a place where there isn't much Lyme disease, people travel. <laughs> and so you go someplace else and you come back, you go to your local doctor. You know, it's like with uh, the things with, you know, a couple of years ago with Ebola and everything. If you traveled over there and came back, you know, there was this high concern that you might have something. But uh, somehow... Uh, somehow with Lyme disease, there, there, isn't that, there isn't that perception. So a very important part of it is just, first of all, awareness. And then with awareness comes the resolution that each of us should have to protect ourselves from ticks. And so um, I must admit, I'm, I'm not a horse rider, but I know plenty of them. And I know that they get out in areas where ticks hang out. And um, first of all, when we talk about Lyme disease, Lyme disease is the most common tick-borne disease, but there's a lot of other, you know, there's different kinds of ticks and they carry different kinds of diseases and you don't want any of them. (laughs) And (laughs) some ticks carry more than one and, you know, you can get, you can get co-infections. And so, so there are problems, um, you know, there are problems with that. 
So in terms of the kind of thing that somebody can do to protect themselves, now I'm, I'm not a horse rider, but I am a hiker, and I get pants that have been pre-treated with a technique called Insect Shield. Uh, there's other there's other brands that that that's a brand name, but um, you know it's permethrin and and it they're treated and it will last. It'll be tick tick protective through 70 washes. And people have said privately that yeah, I think it lasts even longer than 70 washes. I have when I go hiking, I spray my boots. I have treated socks. I have treated pants. I have a treated shirt. I have a treated bandana around my neck and I have a treated hat. And so when you have that way, you're not putting, you're not putting the repellent on your skin. It's, it's covering your skin, but it's a ta- you know, it's, it's bonded with the fabric. And, uh, and so you are, prote- and, and tests have shown that that is, is very, protective for people that are outdoors a lot. There have been studies with like uh, forestry workers and, and um, you know, different groups like that. And uh, permethrin-treated clothing is, is shown to be very protective. And so I, that's just, you know, uh, it's kind of a joke with my kids. My kids are both in their 20s now, but pretty much every holiday season, they get something that's treated for, with permission <laughs> from mom <laughs> shirt pants socks you know what's it going to be this year <laughs> and uh so and then but you still have you know you don't have clothing all over your body so your face presumably doesn't have anything on it your hands doesn't, doesn't have anything isn't covered so then i recommend and, and other people recommend um uh, putting, uh, you know, insect repellent on the part that is exposed. But my way of doing it is to try to have as little exposed as possible. And of course, it's problematic when the weather's hot. But um, so, so those are protective measures that that people that are out riding horses in tick habitat should really be. If, if you're if the clothes that you wear to ride are already treated, then you don't even have to think about that part of it. You just, you just get dressed and you're, and you know, you're protected. Beyond that, it's important to check yourself for ticks. And so when you get, um, you know, when you get home, you you can take those clothes off, put them in the dryer for 10 minutes, not the washer, put them in the dryer for 10 minutes. If they're uh, any clothing that you have, uh, you know, that, that has been, outside and might potentially have have ticks on it uh i don't want to put my poop covered clothing in the dryer well um your horse poop my horse poop covered clothing is what i you know just to clarify yeah yeah yeah. well then 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 i you probably yeah i'll I'll grant you that one i'll grant you that one Uh, need a barn washer yeah that's right yeah yeah so um but in terms of uh, you then take a shower and if there are any ticks on you that are not attached, the shower will wash them away. But the shower is also a really good opportunity to check yourself. Soap up your hands and just, you know, rub your hands all over everything and, and fig, you know, see if you feel anything. You know, if you've got soap on your hands, you'll feel a little bump that's, that's an embedded tick that, that might not, you know, otherwise you might not notice it. 
and and really just you know check check your whole body and then many people when they're outdoors they have a dog with them or in the in the neighborhood yeah and uh dogs can certainly pick up um ticks and can bring them into the house and and so you know that's something that you have to be careful about so those are things that people I would think people that ride horses should do those perhaps even more than other people. Right. <laughs> but I think anyone who is outdoors a lot, you know, it's amazing when we, when I first started reading about this, they would often talk about Lyme disease as being a recreational issue. Oh, people are hiking, they're camping, they're riding horses. And that's true. That does get you outside. But there's an awful lot of people that their job is to be outside. They're a park ranger. They're a maintenance worker that does stuff outside. They're a surveyor. They are, you know, laying lines for the utility company. They're firefighters. I mean, there's just an astonishing amount of jobs where it isn't, that isn't recreation. That's that's every day and you're out there and really it behooves everybody to protect themselves. So what I so I'm going to ask a question I asked 5 years ago um when we talked about this last and I just looked it up it was exactly 5 years ago. So mm-hmm. what why and I asked this question back then and I don't know that we had a good answer. The American med- the medical community did not acknowledge chronic Lyme, meaning that you go in, you you you're tested or whatever and we think you have Lyme disease and we treat you with 3 weeks of antibiotics and it goes away and you're fine and you're all good. And or you're like me who had it for 2 years before they ever figured it out and uh 3 weeks of antibiotics really didn't do anything. And the medical community has always said they don't believe there is such a thing as chronic Lyme. Are we still in that belief or are, is that changing? I know there's even been states that have passed legislation demanding that they acknowledge it. So where are we at with that? Well, it's, it's complicated. There's, uh, there still is um, the, the Infectious Diseases Society of America is, is a private group that has of, of doctors and researchers, and they have treatment guidelines for many diseases, including Lyme disease. And um, part of that has always been uh, for for a variety of complex uh, political reasons and and people that have financial dealings and uh, conflicts of interest. There has there the the IDSA has always maintained that there is no such thing as chronic Lyme, and that basically for most okay, I'm going to translate that for everybody. Insurance companies, okay, go ahead. Well, I can say you can't. That's part of it. (laughs) That's part of the that's part of the question. For many many years, the the CDC has just accepted the um, the IDSA's view of things, and so they would just put it on their website. You know, they would have a link to the IDSA guidelines on the website and say, you know, there's no such thing as chronic Lyme and you know, blah, blah, blah. So the politics of the situation is changing a bit. And the CDC actually removed the uh, overt reference to, this, to the IDSA guidelines. They, they no longer mention the IDSA guidelines. But they, in fact, link to a National Institute of Health website that 
basically says the same stuff as the IDSA guidelines. <laughs> so I, I wrote a blog about that, and the, head, the headline I put on it was lipstick on a pig, question <laughs> mark. <laughs> so uh, it was like, you know, it seemed to me like they were, um, you know, kind of dressing things up, but they weren't really changing it. There is something going on now, which is which is a change from how things have been. Uh, at the end of 2016, you may remember the 21st Century Cures Act was passed by Congress and signed by President Obama, and it had things for all different kinds of diseases. And it there was there was there were kind of it was just this big bill that dealt with all these different things that uh, different different kind you know there was cancer you know different different kinds of things. And there was language in there that was related to Lyme disease, which the Lyme community fought hard to get, which was that the Health and Human Services Division would would have a, a, um, a, commission, a committee that, that would be uh, people from all sides of the Lyme controversy, and they would would get together and they would talk. And so with the idea being what should the government position be related to not just Lyme, but tick-borne, all tick-borne diseases. And so that actually passed and was convened in for the first time last December. And there were 12, uh, I believe it's 12 members of the committee um, some of them are IDSA, some of them are patient representatives, some of them are doctors, Dr. Horowitz, who's a prominent, um, you know, Lyme uh, eyelads doctor, I guess we maybe they don't know what eyelads is, but basically it's the Lyme doctors that do uh, acknowledge chronic Lyme. And uh, so, so there were, there's 12 members on that committee, and then they have uh, subcommittees, I guess it's 14 members of the committee, and then there's uh, seven subcommittees, and then there's two members of the main committee are on each subcommittee, and then there's other people on the subcommittees from a variety of, of um, perspectives, including patient representatives. And this is the first time that there have ever been patient representatives, true patient representatives on anything having to do with Lyme disease on the national level. You know, there've been committees for things for AIDS and you had AIDS patient representatives and breast cancer and all of that. But that was always a sticking point that somehow we could never have that for the Lyme community. So not everybody on the committee agrees with each other. <laughs> so, But the idea is to have these conversations and research and discuss this and come forward with recommendations. And so that is uh, interesting. Well, it's interesting to see what will develop from that. You throw out research. When, you know, when your daughter got it and I got it, there was none, uh, very little. And, but I think we have increased on, on the amount of people doing research on it, correct? Well, interesting you should bring that up. Uh, you know that the NIH has uh, fun, it, there's different aspects of Lyme disease. I mean, when you say research on Lyme disease, you know, some people are trying to get a vaccine and some people are trying to do this, some people are trying to do that. In terms of trying to get better treatments, figure out what works to, to help 
sick people feel better, there have been exactly three studies that were funded by the NIH, and the NIH is the major funding for the funder for this sort of thing. There have been three studies. The most recent one was more than 15 years ago, and the, the biggest study was 129 people. <laughs> so uh, based on that, they're saying, oh, we know everything there is to know about chronic Lyme and what, what works. Actually, they didn't know what works. They just said what didn't work. They said, you know, whatever you do, don't, don't give them antibiotics. <laughs> and then you don't get anything else. So one of the things I mentioned in my Lyme data earlier, uh, in 2015, uh, my organization, LymeDisease.org, launched a patient registry called My Lyme Data. And what it is, is that people sign up, people that have been diagnosed with Lyme disease. Some of them have only had it a short time. Some have had a long time. You know, you, there can be all different kinds of, of symptoms. People, people sign up and they, um, there's privacy, you know, I did. and all that. But, <laughs> oh, did you? Yes, oh, I did. excellent, yep. excellent. Well, we now have more than 10,000 people signed up for it. And they give information how long they've been sick. Not everybody knows that they were bitten by a tick when. And, and, but if they know when and where they were bitten by a tick, um, what if they have any co-infections, what their symptoms have been, what the treatment has been, if it helped, if it didn't help. And so that is 10,000 people compared to 129. And then, you know, some people... Their their treat you know their their main symptom is is that they have um, heart problems and somebody else's main symptom is, is that they have arthritis and and so to just say we're going to look at these 129 people and see what they have it's just too small a sample and so when you have 10,000 people and then you can start getting them into different groups now and say. Go ahead. Well, Go I was going to say, have you? Do we have? Now you got me all excited here. So, um, do we? <laughs> or do we have any results yet, or is that coming out soon? Well, we do have. Uh, you know, we do have some results. Uh, there is. There is going to be more results that are that will be announced at our conference. We're we're, we're having at it's our second Myline Data Conference. Uh, it's going to be in the Bay Area in Northern California. Uh, on April 7th. And so Lorraine Johnson, who's the head of, of LymeDisease.org, and she's the principal investigator for the MyLyme Data Project, she will be um, putting forth uh, what, the new, what the new information is. And I think that uh, I, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I said, can you give me a hint? And she said that there was going to be um, a lot of things related to pain, to to what people's experience of pain was, and what you know what helped I, and what didn't, we, and that we, kind of thing. So we talked about this before the before the show too, and that's hard to quantify too because when I get my flare ups, every single time I have different things. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the doctor for heart or for whatever, and it's not been they, – they say it's not anything. And then I go home and I go, oh, it was my Lyme acting up, but I've never had that one before. Uh, but then what right. happens is as soon as I get through that, whatever that new thing is, the, the common 
for me, it's neurological. The common things come into play and I go, oh, I'm having a flare up, but I didn't, I, you know, it wasn't the first, the common things that I usually get weren't the first things that manifested that time. So I've been very careful now to go, okay, is this Lyme? And am I seeing some of the other symptoms that I normally get along with this? And I don't usually, mine's neurological. I don't usually get the joint pain, but I had it terribly the last time. And I don't, you know, I don't usually get that. So the hard part about Lyme is, and you know, it, and this is this way in horses too, right, Wendy? It's it just manifests itself in so many different ways in the same patient. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the same patient and and different patients. So I, I used to um, run a Lyme support group in Sacramento, and there would be people that had perhaps you know been sick about the same amount of time, and yet they might have very different. Uh, symptoms from each other. And so that's one of the reasons that can make it, you know, so hard to diagnose in the first place, and then so hard to treat because it manifests itself so differently. Well, we have one of our listeners out there, I won't mention her name. Uh, I think, you know, most of our auto group knows who she is, who's had a heck of a time with it over the last year. And she finally went out and found a Lyme literate doctor, which brings us to that conversation. Are doctors still getting in trouble for treating this as a real thing? Some of them are. Isn't that Some sad? We're are. five years down the road and we're still there. Yeah. There, there are, you mentioned uh, that there, there are some states that uh, have, have passed laws. I think New York was one of them. made it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, just, I don't remember the state yeah, offhand, but there's, there's a handful of them that have done you know, doctor protection bills that supposedly that that protects the doctors if they treat if they treat Lyme disease. But there are there are other ways messing things up rather than just going after the doctor's license. It can also you mentioned insurance. Right. You know, sometimes insurance you know companies um, you know can go after doctors and. It's just, it's really a complex, it's really a complex, multifaceted problem. But a lot of these, uh, one thing that, that I think is, is a really bright spot on the, on the horizon is that we are starting to get better, more effective tests. That's my question. Next For the question. longest part of the problem was, is that many people that, had all of the symptoms of Lyme disease would not test positive on a Lyme test. And part of that was, well, it was really a deficiency of the test. And yet if you can't, you know, if you, if, if you can't get a diagnosis without, without a positive test, then everything stops for you. And, you know, your, your insurance sure isn't going to pay for anything. They say you don't even have it. And so there, there is a lot of headway that has been in the, in the whole realm of testing. And this is another thing that's going to be discussed at this conference that we're going to have on April 7th. And I would say, I assume you have listeners all over the country. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, all even over the world. If you're not in, <clears throat> even if you're not in a position to come, you know, if you're not in Northern California, you can't come to our our conference, we are going to be um, videotaping the presentations and they will be made available in the future. So, um, one of the presentations is going to be about testing. 
Good, yeah. because I, you know, that's something that always has been a problem. Um, and and mine, I never in, in those days, I never tested positive for it. It was just they ruled out everything in the world else that I had tests for, right. and uh, that's how we came to that conclusion. Last time we talked about Lyme disease, I, you know, I wanted to point that out. This is not a United States problem. Last time we talked about Lyme disease, I had I had several people from the UK contact me who were going through it, and it was even worse over there because they were even less aware of it. So it, it's a worldwide problem. It's not just it's definitely not the just the US and or even UK. And uh, there's a lot of it throughout Europe. There's a lot of it in Australia. Australia has some special problems. It may not be precisely what we call Lyme disease. It might, you know, they may have a little different variation of something. But part of the problem for a lot of people in other countries, non-U.S. countries, is that these other countries, many of them use the CDC and the IDSA recommendations for things. So, uh, so people are told the same things as that they're told in, in the U.S. is that, oh, well, you know, you can't, you know, there's no line around here. You don't have it. You didn't particularly if you test you know, you don't test positive on a test that's really a crummy test. And it's like, oops, you don't have it. Yeah. And so a uh, lot of people in the UK, we, we hear from a lot of people in the UK, and there are advocacy organizations in the UK that are trying trying to help. There are there's groups in France, there's groups in Germany. Uh, there's, you know, there's, there's Lyme really, all, Lyme, or and or other tick-borne diseases in you know throughout Europe and the, part of the problem is that uh, the testing in the U.S. the testing has generally been for one strain that you're most likely to get in New York State and so if you're in California or Arkansas or, or Florida other places. <laughs> Yeah, Florida. Gee, gee, you don't have it. Well, also what was happening, there were people that were going over to Europe and getting bitten by a European bug and coming back here mm. and and the and the, the, the testing here wouldn't pick up European bugs. And so a lot of the new testing, Igenix has a new test out, an immunoblot test. And it is supposed to be much more uh, sensitive in terms of picking up a variety of strains, including European strains. There are some other tests that are almost on the market. You know, they're kind of in the last stages of what you have to do before you can put them out there. But many of them are, uh, they're just a different kind of testing and they do DNA and that sort of thing. And so some of them, uh, there's a number of them that are, are very intriguing to me where you can give one sample of blood and it can be, they can identify like a hundred different things potentially. <laughs> so you don't have to, it's like now if you want to have a Lyme test, okay, we're, we've got this blood and we're going to test it for Lyme. And then maybe later you're going to test it for Babesia. Maybe later you're going to test it for something else. Well, these others, you don't have to know going in what it is. It's that you test it and it shows up what these things are. And I think that would be 
extremely beneficial for anybody hey. that that uh, potentially has a tick-borne disease. Before we run out of time, I want to get to some of the questions we had from our listeners. Wendy, um, you have the list there. You pick out the ones you think uh, are relevant and really important here to get answered. You want to ask those? Yeah, I guess one of the questions is someone lives in a high-risk area, and they've had it, their dogs have had it, and they're scared about, you know, their horses getting it. And they want to know if they should be routinely tested, and if so, at what interval. Do they do routine testing in in people or just when you have symptoms? Uh, They tend not to do uh, routine testing in people. I mean, it, 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 it tends to be more you know, that you think you have it. And so you're mm-hmm. going to test yeah. for it because again, and even then like you have to convince them. Like, well, <laughs> yeah. And then you have because to in, convince them. Yeah. In vet medicine, we have a test that we run, it's, you know, it's a screening test. So it's the ELISA, but mm-hmm. you know, dogs get their blood drawn every year to test for heartworm, which is a very accurate and uh, a very accurate test, but there's also a, a Lyme's uh, an anaplasmosis in with that test. So there are many dogs that get tested every year, screening wise. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why they're asking if they thought yeah, people maybe. do that yeah. too. No, you have to convince you know, your doctor I, to test you even with symptoms. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, that just reminds me about the, the dog testing. I, IDEX is the company that makes the, the dog uh, test kits. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, a great website called uh, dogsandticks.com and you can go it's not just Lyme it's it's uh, you know a variety of things I think they also have uh, heartworm on there where you can go and like click on your state and then you can click on your county and it will tell you how many cases of whatever you're looking for Lyme or whatever have been you know showing up in dogs in your county And, uh, and so that's one of those things that, you know, even though, you know, people don't get, uh, Lyme in Arkansas, we're told a lot of dogs do. (laughs) Yeah. So what does that tell you? Yeah, exactly. The Arkansas ticks only like dogs, apparently. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Here's a good one. If, uh, if you get bit by a tick and get the red, uh, red splotch, um, with the red ring, does it mean you have Lyme? Well, generally that's considered yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, there are other things that can cause that kind of a, of, a, of a, you know, of a pattern. And so they might want to rule off, a, you know, a few other things. But if you know there was a tick bite and there was a red ring around it, yes, that means you have Lyme disease. Go get your, go to the doctor. Like now. Yeah. 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 That's the rule there. Take a picture of it. Yeah. Take a picture of <laughs> yeah, because it does go away that's after a great a day. idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great yeah. idea. It does start to go away. So you do want to get a picture, especially with doctors today, you might not get in for a week. Um yeah. Yes. Yeah. So definitely do that. You know, Rosie asked a question and and she's been fighting this for a long time. And this is an interesting question. I don't know that we can answer. Uh, do you have a good Lyme kit? And I asked her, what's a Lyme kit? And she said, when it gets bad for a small length of time, do you have something you go to? Like she says, I do some yoga. I also drink more water. I make sure I take warm showers. And what she, I think what she's talking to about is when you have a flare up, is there something you can do? She said Benadryl's helped her. Is there something you can do to help alleviate the symptoms? 
wins in the short term. And I'll tell you what I do, and Wendy doesn't always agree with this, but um, I do five-hour energy drink. If I'm having a medium bad neurological day and I can't think quite right, for some reason, the five-hour energy drink helps me think better. Uh, if it's really bad, nothing helps. But um, so I think, you know, I don't know that we can answer that question, Rosie, but I know that everybody with Lyme wants that answer, right? Yes, everyone wants that answer. And I would say um, a couple of things that that it's good that she's finding out things that help her and that uh, and that you have found things that help you. And that is the value of connecting with other people that are in a similar situation. And that's one of the things that MyLine Data does in terms of connecting, you know, what, what things have helped people. But also, as I said, I used to, to help run a, a support group, and that's the kind of thing where people can, you know, say, gee, I'm in this situation, what helps? And somebody will say, this will help me. And like uh, for a lot of people, they're feeling, uh, they feel better if they take Epsom salt baths. Now, some people say, oh, I take those and I feel worse. So, I mean, it's not like that's the go-to thing for everybody. But if you hear things from other people and they say, you know, it really helps me when I take an Epsom salt bath and then I do, um, you know, yoga or whatever, you know, then you can, you can figure out for, you know, you think, well, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. I'm going to see if it works. And even if you don't have a, uh, a support group in, in close to you that you can go to or someplace, sometimes even somebody has it close to them, but they just can't get out of the house. They're too sick. There are a lot of online support groups and a lot of them on Facebook. And some of them are, uh, some of them are Yahoo and other things. Some of them are specific to a geographic area. Um, the Sacramento group, I no longer um, facilitate it, but it, the group has continued and they also have a Facebook group. And that's a way that somebody can say, hey, I've been having this issue. And somebody else say, well, this is what helped me. Somebody else said, oh, and I try this. And somebody else said, oh, I tried that and it was terrible. <laughs> so you get that kind of feedback from other people. And that's at this stage of the game, I, I've often said, you know, Lyme is a real do-it-yourself uh, kind of a project. You know, you have to figure out what helps you. You have to do your own research and, and, and you know, find, find things that help. Something that I'm just throwing out there that I hear from a lot of people more and more, that various uh, forms of medical marijuana uh, help relieve. I have read a lot about that, and, actually. That is true. I've, I've read and, a lot about that. And CBD oil. Is I haven't tried that marijuana. yet, Wendy. I have to go there. I you have to try to. that next. You well, CBD oil doesn't have the hallucinogenic quality to it, which, you know, some people don't want anything to do with that. And so uh, I already feel I like heard, I have that I have personal <laughs> experience with it. But I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot of people, really a lot of people. In fact, I think the MyLine data thing is going to include um, some feedback about medical marijuana this time at the at the conference. Uh, well, Wendy, and that leads so, us to um, you. Let, let's go to Wendy here because. Um, okay. Go ahead, Wendy. Just uh, do you um do you guys embrace any of the traditional Chinese medicine treatments like acupuncture, herbal formulas, or medical mushrooms? 
there are a lot of people that report uh, good, good effects with that. We do not tell anybody what they ought to do for treatment. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not what we do. We say, right. you know, that's, you know, you've got to figure that out between you and your doctor. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of alternative treatments that people report on Myline data that they have been, that they have found useful. And I have personally talked to people who have been helped by um, Chinese medicine, different different aspects of it. A number of years ago, there was uh, a doctor that that came out with a. I'm sorry, I can't think of the name of the book, but it was it was like Chinese herbs for Lyme disease, or that was the thought. If that's not maybe mm-hmm. the exact title, and I know a lot of people who have found that to be very helpful. I get a lot of feedback from people that acupuncture helps. Again, it depends. It depends on the symptom and, you know, and it depends on the individual. And there are people in, in support groups, uh, meetings that I've been to that say, oh my gosh, I just, you know, I, I go to, you know, I go to an acupuncturist, you know, regularly and I always feel better after, after the treatment. There's other people that say they did it and, you know, it didn't seem to help. And I would say that's true of about everything I've ever heard of, including antibiotics. <laughs> you right. know, yeah. Somebody says it helps and somebody else says it doesn't. And part of it is, is that, you know, the crazy thing about Lyme disease is, is that it can, as we said earlier, it can affect people in so many different ways. And so it's some, and, and there seem to be so many different strains and different you know, different co-infections and stuff. So, I mean, I've got to believe that that has an effect on whether a certain thing is helpful or not. You know, it depends on exactly what it is that's wrong and, 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 and what, what, part of, what part of the body it's affected. And that takes us full circle back to the first thing you said is this is all very complicated. So <laughs> we have to cut off there. We're going to actually continue the conversation a little bit with Dr. Wendy on uh, Lyme disease in horses. So hang around for that. But we wanted to thank Dorothy for spending so much time with us today. LymeDisease.org. I get your newsletter. Where can people get that? Go to the website, LymeDisease.org, and there's a little place that says sign up for our newsletter. And you put your email address in there, and then you're on the list. If you if you have Lyme disease or if you uh, know anybody that does, you should get the newsletter. I've gotten more good information out of that than almost anything I've ever done and research I've ever done with Lyme disease. I read it every time. So thank you so much for that. The website is full of information as well. Definitely take a look at that. Go into the research uh, segment or, or any of the different, the blog and all the different stuff that's on there. There's a thousand different things on there. So definitely check that out as well. And the conference, if you're interested, is My Lyme Data 2018 conference in San Ramon, California, April the 7th. And there's information on LymeDisease.org. Thank you, Dorothy. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And before we chat about Lyme and horses, Wendy, I wanted to talk a little bit about our friends at the American Driving Society who have supported this show since day one, six years ago. There's a ton of member benefits that you get by being a member of the American Driving Society. They include a subscription to the great magazine, The Whip, which features all the latest news and feature articles for the sport of carriage driving. Also, all the news from the ADS delivered right into your inbox in email blasts. You'll receive their digital newsletter called The Wheel Horse, online access 
access to the ADS Trail Guide, a state-by-state guide for recreational drivers like me. Uh, You also get online access to the Omnibus, which of course is about all the competitions coming up. You'll also be eligible for all the recognition programs, including the Youth Championships, Hours to Drive, along with all the new ADS-driven dressage awards. Online access to the membership directory and ADS educational materials, and you'll be eligible to participate in the North American CDE Intermediate Calculated Championships and the North American Intermediate and Preliminary Championships. You can do all of that by visiting americandrivingsociety.org and becoming a member. It's simple and it's easy and it's well worth it at americandrivingsociety.org. Well, I got to tell you, I don't know how I feel right now, to be honest with you, Wendy. I kind of feel like we've made a teeny weeny bit of progress, but we have all the same problems that we had five years ago. Yeah. We have the problems in that doctors don't want to recognize it. Insurance companies don't want to pay for it. Nobody wants to fight the insurance companies. The the CDC and the infectious people still say chronic Lyme doesn't exist, even though we we have millions of people out there with it. It's just frustrating. I'm sorry. I'm just... (laughs) No, but you should be frustrated. But that's how it is with many, many diseases because sometimes, I mean, the body is a complex system. So sometimes we don't have a test and we may never have a test for the disease. But um, this kind of reminds me of something that Dr. Shea said the last time I saw him and his brother... Of the Qi Institute? Of the Qi Institute. My master. Your mentor. uh, My mentor. He's the father of TCVM in the United States, but his brother is an engineer and his brother always gives him crap about acupuncture. He's like, well, you can't prove that you're doing anything and you can't prove that there's chi and blah, blah, blah. And Dr. Shea said to him, he says, I don't need to prove that there's chi. I'm a doctor. I am going to make my patients better. You're an engineer. You should come up with something to measure chi. That's not my job. (laughs) And I thought that was a really great way to look at it. I, I am not, uh, you know, I, yes, it'd be nice if we had a diagnosis, but veterinarians don't make the tests. Scientists. You're not make a the research uh, doctor. Yeah, right. 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 So I see the patient and I treat what I see. And maybe I have a diagnosis of Lyme. So that would be great if we had a diagnosis for everything I treat. Right. But like the number one thing that horse vets treat is ADR. You know what ADR is? Glenn? No. Attention deficit disorder. Right. No, ain't doing right. (laughs) Oh. They they call you and they go, well, doc, I don't know. He just ain't doing right. That's our number one call. Low level performance issues. Right. 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 I mean, unless they have a huge gash on the side of their leg or something, you know, something. It just ain't, he isn't right. (laughs) And I know the people listening here are saying the same thing. There are times when they like lay awake at night because their horse isn't doing right and we don't have a diagnosis. Well, you know what? You know when you're, you're every person has gone through that with themselves. I'm just not right. Yeah. I just don't feel right. You don't know what, it, you, you, you can't nail any one thing. You just don't feel right. Right. And yeah. so you know what you do a lot of times? You take the day off and you take a nap. You rest, have some soup, right. maybe some vitamin C. So what you're doing is you're resting your body and you're allowing your body to fight whatever your problem is, whether that's Lyme's disease or, you know, you get a stiff neck because you slept on the wrong pillow or what, you know, it could be a million things. 
But sometimes you need to rest and you need to let your body figure it out. Well, we've talked about Lyme disease in horses before, so I want to take it from the angle that we took it with Dorothy. Has there been okay. changes? Has it improved? Where are we at in the last five years when it comes to horses? We've had we have a couple of our even auditors who are super fans who've had horses with terrible chronic Lyme issues. I mean, yeah. uh, terrible ones, and yeah. you know it's been years and th- tens of thousands of dollars in treatments. And yeah. so, where are we at with that testing? Well, and we do have the screen test that we can do, uh, the, the test I talked about, the ELISA, you can do that. We have the test at Cornell that, is, that does the, um, the test and you can tell if they've been vaccinated or if they're in acute stage or chronic stage. So that's only the only real test we have uh, for Lyme's now. So it's not much of a difference. Um, one of the new interesting um, things about Lyme's disease coming forward in horses that we don't have in people is that um, many horses are infected with both Lyme's and EPM. So, hmm. you know, e- EPM can act a lot like Lyme's in that the horses, I mean, lots of horses are infected with EPM, but only a few have symptoms of, a- of EPM, right? So wh- why is this disease recrudescing? So maybe being infected with both Lyme's and EPM, maybe there's like, you know, a lot of horses with EPM and then they get infected with Lyme's and then it makes their EPM recrudesce. So that's a new uh, kind of interesting spin on Lyme's and EPM. Also, I know when I was living in Virginia, there were people that were sometimes vaccinating with the dog vaccine, which, you know, there's two schools of thought about that as some people you know, they want the horse to be protected. And I, I can totally understand that if you're in a high risk zone, but then there's some research that, that says that maybe, uh, if you're in a high risk area, you're infected with limes and it's hiding and then you vaccinate them and then it causes the, the limes to recrudesce. Mm. So, um, in a lot of ways, cases like Lyme's disease, which I did have uh, a horse before I did TCVM, my own horse uh, had Lyme's, and I had to retire him from the Lyme's because I treated him, treated him, and he never got better. He was super sore, like just to have the harness on him, he couldn't pull the carriage anymore. Um, and one of the things I love about Chinese medicine is that, okay, I either I mean, I treat what I see, right? So if I have a Lyme's disease diagnosis or I don't, I'm treating what I usually see in horses that I suspect have Lyme's disease. They have, you know, uh, p- performance issues. They, they are not performing at the level that they were. They have shifting limb lameness. That's pretty common. Usually their whole body sore. When I do my acupuncture scan, they're sore all over their whole body. They hurt everywhere. They can also have behavior changes. Like, you know how sometimes you were saying how you were at the grocery store and you're like confused and you can't get home? Right. Like your horse can't tell you that, that he's confused, but maybe you're, he he doesn't, you know, he's confused about something and that would be scary if you didn't know what was happening. Because I'm sure you were scared when you were like, I don't know how to get home. So behavior change is something that we see both in Lyme's and EPM. So like treating it, there are people that are using um, the cannabis oil that does help. 
Also, the theory in Chinese medicine, what we think about Lyme's and, and all disease, right? Your immune system, right, is like, why don't I have chronic Lyme's, even though I've probably been exposed, but you have chronic Lyme's. Right. It's due to, like, maybe I have Lyme's organisms living inside me, but I'm not showing the symptoms. And that could be because my immune system is different from your immune system. You know, so so if your immune system is strong enough, maybe it can fight off the bacteria when you're first infected or if it tries to recrudesce from your nerves. So the, the basis that we do to treat Lyme disease in horses is to tonify their immune system. We call it the Zeng Qi, right? It's part of your Qi. So you have to help their Qi and then you have to get rid of the pain because you have lots of joint aches and pains, body pains. Right. Mm -hmm. So we do that with, um, and some, we do that with acupuncture and herbs. Sometimes I cannot needle horses with limes because they're too painful. So then I do laser or they can, you can do massage. Um, but then we'll do herbal formulas. The, the herbal formula that Dr. Shea made specifically for limes is actually really interesting. It's based on a formula they use in China when they had the SARS outbreak. Uh, Remember the, yeah, that was big. Yeah. So it's a it's an immune booster because the SARS was a virus. So you can't there's no you have to boost the immune system to kill a virus. And then the other part of the formula is a lot of the herbs that we use to treat arthritis. So we're treating the pain in the body and then we're boosting the immune system. So uh, you can also do that with food therapy, like a lot of what you're doing. So studies have shown that. Oh, my, and my dad was like huge about this. He, he was huge about vitamin C. Like whenever we were sick, we had to take tons of vitamin C. And he's like, you know, Linus Pauling can't be wrong. Linus Pauling believes in vitamin C. So I'm like, well, Linus Pauling didn't get famous for his vitamin C work. But either way, my dad loved taking vitamin C. And Vitamin C is great because it's an antioxidant, but also it, it isn't that what helps. they use in in what's that called? Um, vitamin C is what they use in all of those. Not don't, you won't get the cold, uh, you know, chewables. Yeah. that they sell millions yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, like but huge vitamin quantities C, of it that will really mess up your stomach if you take it too many days in oh, a row. Oh yeah, this is what my dad used to always say. Whenever we were starting to get sick, we had to take vitamin C until we got diarrhea, and then we could stop. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> but, but once again, he's not a doctor. He was an engineer. So I probably yeah, shouldn't have been to do it. But the other good thing about vitamin C is it protects collagen. So mm. it helps your joints. So that's why vitamin C is actually pretty good. Um, and then there's all different kind of things you can do. Of course, omega-3 fatty acids. I say that all the time. You're probably sick of me hearing, of hearing me say that. But one of the things I really like, to use in cases of like EPM limes, chronic disease is, um, a medical mushroom powder. And a lot of my herbal formulas have mushroom powder in them, but medical mushroom powder is really easy to get, um, uh, at health food stores, or we have a guy at our local farmer's market called the fun guy. (laughs) (laughs) I love his booth. And, um, he makes a mushroom powder that you can just put in uh, hot water. And Am drink I going to feel really good after this mushroom powder? 
It's not. It's not that kind of mushroom oh, powder. Okay, got it. It's mushrooms that you eat. Oh, okay. But, oh, okay. But before you can. And I don't like mushrooms, so I think powder is going to be the only way I'm getting them in. Yeah. So if you don't like mushrooms, but mushrooms, <laughs> eat, I mean, mushrooms are great for you. But before you could only find this mushroom powder in the Chinese, uh, like in the Chinese stores. But now mushroom powder is like mainstream, you know, and it's affordable and it's a great way to boost your immune system. So, 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 I mean, let's try and bottom line it here a little bit. We have, uh, if you have Lyme disease and it's, you don't think you're getting better, obviously finding a Lyme literate doctor, which you can go to LymeDisease.org and find links for that too, or just mm-hmm. search for Lyme literate doctor in your area. Uh, they're sometimes hard to find, and you can count on your insurance company not paying for it, um, which has been part of the big problem is that this will cost people thousands of dollars a month in treatments. And you know, and a lot of these Lyme literate doctors will ask for an upfront and things like that, so people go untreated. I mean, it's a cycle. It's what she said. It's so very complicated because it's all a catch-22. It, right. It it all is. I mean, it and it, it there's there, but the problem is there's not one catch twenty two. There's fifteen, twenty, thirty, fifty catch twenty twos. By the time you're done, and it it's that's also why it's so darn frustrating. Well, you know, and that's why I really like Chinese medicine because in the past, like I said, I would need to have a diagnosis and then give you a pill for what I found, right? But if like you're suffering from chronic pain, it's undiagnosed. You feel tired all the time. You feel depressed and sick. You need to tonify your chi, right? Boost your immune system, and you need to get rid of the pain. So you could boil it down to those two things, even if you can't find a diagnosis, which finding a diagnosis is key. I mean, that would be great if you could do it. I'm not saying abandon that pursuit, but... I think taking those two steps on the way to a diagnosis can really help. And that's what you've done to treat yourself. You know, well, you get rest. I, I do you, want to mention you, that too, uh, what I'm mm-hmm. doing to treat myself is, and what has made me get, would you say, 80% better since you met me? I think you're, oh my God, I think you're way, way better. Because even when we were still in Kentucky, you uh, had a lot more bad days. Oh, yeah. I don't remember you having a bad day for like a whole year. Yep. And it's because I started on the diet really is what did it for me. And by the way, on this particular diet, you're going to lose a lot of weight too. So if you, if you have that as a goal, you'll be good. (laughs) Um, Jennifer went on the same diet, uh, my wife, uh, about Mm -hmm. five months ago and is down 30 pounds. So. (laughs) Oh my God, that's great. Yeah. You won't recognize her. She's, she's half, she's a quarter of the person she was. I mean, she, she looks amazing. So. And mine, you know, there are all kinds of Lyme diets. You can find the books on Amazon. You can find all different kinds of Lyme diets. They were all very complicated, and I am a yeah. picky eater. And it really, what it, what it meant for me was I was going to go down to eating practically nothing. So I had to find – you have to still find something that works for you. Um, so there's these – the. There's a there's tiered diets which take you for a first month on a really strict kind of fasting thing, and then you can add a little you can add things here and there along the way, and over the next couple of months you can do all of that. I tried all of that. It just I th- thought I got I really felt crappy because I wasn't eating very much. Yeah. Um, so what I did is I went I cut out two things. I cut out all gluten and I cut out sugar, which basically means you shop around the edge of the store. Right. Um, and that did it. I mean, not, and I lost a lot of weight too. Um, and that was a big change for you because you ate a lot of white foods. I did. 
I did, and my mom, my mom cooked a lot of white foods. So yeah. you know, for me, it was, it was all of those things that moms and cook. White foods are right. so delicious. Oh, they're good, and you know, I love sugar. I love cake. Is one of my and ice cream are two of my favorite things in the whole world. <laughs> now, what I did too, and I, I will cheat once a week. So I'll have a. a a, a, you know, a, a little bowl of ice cream once a week or something like yeah. that. I'll have a piece of bread once a week. But if I do that too many days in a row, then I can feel it. I feel it immediately after that. We did a yeah. cruise and I cheated the whole time because I just couldn't help myself. And, oh, yeah. and I, it's so difficult. I felt like crap for two weeks. <laughs> and Jennifer but, warned know, me I was going to feel like crap and I did. Yeah. But that could be, you know, I think anybody that cuts out sugar and gluten and then goes and eats a whole week of sugar and gluten is going to feel like crap for two oh, weeks. Yeah, you're totally yeah. feel like crap. So I don't know but, if that was But a also, an easy way to boil your diet down now is that you. You not just cut out gluten and sugar, but you don't eat processed foods anymore. You make fresh foods. Right. And that, now, I don't like a lot of vegetables, so I'm missing out on a lot of – and I mean, I don't like them to the point where I couldn't swallow them. Um, I can't believe that. I know. It's true. So for me, my vegetable diet is limited to like five or six things. What about cucumbers? I love like cucumbers. cucumbers. I love cucumbers. Um so cucumbers is one of the things I do like, tomatoes and all that stuff. But And I love fruit. And when I did the diet originally, I had cut fruit out. And I found that to be a negative. I still think this is my personal belief. I'm not a doctor and I'm not Wendy. Uh, I still believe the body needs some sugar. So yeah. I – what I made my peace with was that I'm going to get my sugar through natural things, through fruit. It's not right. processed. It's fruit. Um, so I eat fruit now, and I think I feel better than I did when I wasn't eating fruit. I think, um, I think that fruit's really important. In Chinese medicine, when we do food therapy, right, sweet, the taste sweet is um, a chi tonic. So you have to have things that are but, – but it – but it's talking about sweet as in sweet that's in the food, not like cane sugar. Right. And so that's the difference there. You cut out a lot of just uh, like like processed sugar, but you're getting sugar from, you know, fruit, from strawberries, melons, grapes, whatever. So that's a, that can boost your chi. Just like, you know, I used to give you crap about the five-hour energy thing. You did. But I read it, and it's not as bad as I thought. And, it, you know, it's not like I'm overdoing it. I'm doing it when I have a problem, right? So, but it's sweet, right? It tonifies your chi. So so you can think about the five hours. I don't know about that, but you're heavily caffeinated for a while. I, You know, for me, yeah. because it's neurological, I think it just helps my – it's just the caffeine goes to well, your brain. Well, I'm not anti-caffeine. <laughs> no, you you're, know, I need you're two Starbucks in the morning before I get going. Hey, you know, the other thing, too, is um, stevia. Is, a lot of the research is showing that stevia might be one of the best things to fight Lyme disease. Oh, uh, really? There's a lot of articles coming out now that you can read. Just look up stevia and Lyme. And I do use stevia some. You have to be careful with stevia. There's good ones and there's bad ones, and some of them are so mm -hmm. bitter you don't want to eat them. But, uh, you know, there's uh -huh. you have to sort of experiment. Agave is another thing that they're saying is, is not, you know, is... is Oh, the good, okay. margaritas. Exactly, is okay. Uh, actually, it's so funny because one of the – because if you go off of sugar, you're eliminating most alcohol, right? <laughs> so yeah. – uh, but tequila was actually on the list of things that might not be bad for you Perfect. until – you drink enough that you're dancing on the tables. Then it's probably bad for you. Um, then One margarita a day is not bad. <laughs> and also, margaritas have vitamin C in them. Yeah, and a lot of sugar. Uh, <laughs> it's a problem. All the mixed drinks I really like have a ton of sugar. No, but if you get just a juice margarita, if you ask them for just the lime juice, 
You have lime juice, agave, and tequila. It's there like the go. perfect lime <laughs> cocktail. I do use agave quite a bit, and I haven't had a problem with that. I think from what I've read, the sugar – the sugars are different in, in agave. I don't understand it. but Well, because uh, it's not processed, I think. It's yeah. because it's just like – I think agave is kind of like – looks like an aloe. It and does. They squeeze it out of there. Yep, it does. That's exactly what it looks like, actually. Well, I know this went a lot longer than we usually do, and it was a little more serious than we usually do. But uh, it's important for a lot of us in the horse world and a lot of us personally and our horses and our dogs – uh, so thank you, Dr. Wendy, for spending so much time on this. We really appreciate it. And thanks to Dorothy from LymeDisease.org. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the previous episode that we did back in 2013, it was. Oh, my gosh. That's so, so long ago. On the Stable Scoop show, we did that. And uh, as I said, it was still one of the most down- tens and tens of thousands of downloads. So you can go back and take a listen. And what you're going to hear is not a lot's changed, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, that's it for to this week. Thank you so much for joining us on the Driving Radio Show. We are one of 17 different shows on the Horse Radio Network all about horses. You can find all of the different shows at horseradionetwork.com. Dr. Wendy, you can you, you can find her, and, and you have a store there and all kinds of things going on on your website. Yep, at drwendyying.com. That's drwendyying.com. And all of our show notes will be at drivingradioshow.com. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Keep the shiny side up. (laughs) Which for those of you that don't drive means when you're driving a carriage and there's a horse out front and you're in the carriage, the shiny side of the carriage, the not dirty side is on the top. So that's why she says keep the shiny side up because if the shiny side's down, it's a bad day for everybody. Very bad. bad. You could say keep the dirty (laughs) side down too, but it doesn't sound as pretty. No, but it's so negative. That's true. (laughs) 